You were listening to episode 72 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John. This is Take Two. I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody. Here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we point, click, and flick our way through today's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Dude, we're going to have a lot of people thinking that is a Harry Potter reference. It certainly is not. It is a little bird reference there for you, though. So today we'll be checking out Ivy the Kiwi? Dude. A little bit later on. Yeah, that's a good game. I I liked it. So uh, we'll have some more on that here at the bottom half of the episode. So give or take, if you just want to skip ahead to that, we don't recommend it. But last 15 minutes of the podcast episode generally. Okay. So let's get started, dude. Uh, pickups this week. It's been uh, pretty interesting, uh, obviously, with all that's going on to try and find some pickups. And I somehow, somehow managed a couple pickups. Awesome. So what you got? I picked up a loose N64 with no cables, no controller, no lid, no jumper pack, none of that. Wow. But I've got some of that stuff set aside anyways. So I'll just find a, a lid somewhere in my closet here. Uh, I picked up Munch's Odyssey. On the Xbox, original Xbox. Have you ever played any of the Oddworld games? I played an Oddworld game years ago. I guess it was probably, what, the one on PS1 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. I haven't played any since then. Because I think they went Xbox exclusive after that for the longest time. So I think you had Munch's Odyssey, um, the Stranger's Wrath. Stranger's Wrath. And I think that was it. But they were both on Xbox. So I never did play them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I picked that one up complete in box. And randomly enough, so... We went to a Goodwill, of course, for V's, uh, because where else am I going to go during normal it's hours? It's essential. It is essential. So, yeah, exactly. So, and we'll get more into that in a little bit. But, yeah, so we're uh, kind of checking out shelves, all sports games, all crap. I did see a uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for uh, the ripe price of $50 in their Ooh. case. Yeah, so they got Ocarina of Time hanging out in a case for 50 bucks at this location, and I end up finding the Odd World for like three dollars. It's like an eight or nine dollar game. So you're looking at thirty percent of value. And then I find Woody Woodpecker on the uh, PS2 as well. Uh, I think that's uh, Buzz Buzzard Park or something. Dude, that game alone is like maybe twelve, thirteen dollars loose. I got it with the case and the game, no manual, which kind of sucks. But still, like you've got games like that floating around your shelf for like three bucks. And then you've got fifty dollars Zeldas. Like the guy. I'm gonna test your knowledge, John. Huh? What do you think uh, price charting is on a loose Ocarina of Time? Seventeen dollars. No. What is it now? Thirty bucks. How the hell is it thirty dollars now? Complete is sixty-two. Huh? What was it uh, two months ago? Very curious on this. We take a moment to pause. Twenty-five. See, so it's gone up a little bit recently. And you know what? A lot of it probably... It was 19 back in September 2019. So not too long ago, it was $19. So yeah, that's probably about the last time I actually checked into it. That's actually a huge jump. Yeah. I would probably attribute that more to probably Link's Awakening coming out. And, you know, that little bit of hype around Zelda and wanting to get other games. So... That's what I would attribute that to. Regardless, uh, still overpriced like hell for a loose copy of Zelda, and the label wasn't even in that great a condition. Mm. So, yeah, they got that floating around, and then they have N64s floating around for like 20 bucks. So, uh, yeah, that gives you a Goodwill's pricing model. 
So uh, that was my pickups. Uh, did you have anything? I sure did. So this week I got Animal Crossing New Horizons, like tons of people. Wait, did you actually buy it? Yep. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah, man. I'm having such a good time. I just, I needed something positive in my life. And as soon as I started playing, oh my gosh, the smile that went across the, my face when I heard them. I'm like, oh, yes, this is exactly what I needed. Just like every Nintendo character's voice ever. But I screwed up super hard. So anybody who hasn't started New Horizons, I'm going to give you just a little, not even a, a spoiler thing, because it's before the game even starts. So when you start up, you get to, you know, make your name, make your avatar or your villager. And um, you also get to choose an island layout. You get four different island layouts to choose from. Pick carefully because it, wherever you start off, you're not going to be able to get across those rivers right away. And those rivers divide the island usually into three or four different sections. So make sure whichever area you're going to be starting in is going to be interesting enough to keep your attention for a little while. My first startup, I was super happy. I got like two pretty decent looking uh, you know, animal villagers to be on the island with me. I had rolled the penguin and some uh like golden bear girl i don't remember her name i was happy with them immediately unhappy with my island restarted and then i restarted about a dozen more times because i hated all of the uh villagers that it was trying to put me with so i eventually got lucky but i i i guess i'll just transition into what i've been playing so i've been playing that i've got uh snake the ninja rabbit and i've got pejmina the goat girl and they're both awesome i just got my first house upgrade i just got the shovel so i can start working on doing some more gathering of materials i still need to figure out how to get an axe and then i can start working on building up the uh, shop there i think it's man it's tremendous to just be able to go in and have like this nice casual thing because it's like with everything going on in the world and like all the stress of work and life and stuff, man, it was just killing me to wake up and first thing in the morning, it's like, okay, let's do this Sekiro <laughs> and just start my day off absolutely the wrong way. Hey man, there was a uh, plenty of mornings where I just booted up Sekiro before you would come over to record. Yeah. I was just like, all right, just brutalize let's, yourself let's just for an hour. Brutalize it because I have I have podcasts to look forward to right yeah. now, so it'll be fine. It'll, everything will be fine. Yeah, I did I did pretty good in Sekido this week. I beat Gyobu, the big guy on the horse. I yeah. beat him on my first go. That's not bad, dude. So that gave me kind of a lot of confidence moving forward. Um, eventually, I was able to chase that bull down. There's a beat good him down. There's a good level up point there too. So right after you beat Gyobu, there's um. You can actually uh, climb up. So that's actually a good area to start uh, doing some level grinding early on in the game, right mm -hmm. in that section. So you go up across, you go ahead and kill the one guy uh, that's going up the path. You go up, you go around the side where you have like those uh, ninja guys, you know, yeah. that are kind of like with the poison and whatnot. I forget their names, but you backstab like two of those guys or all three of them, I think, can be backstabbed. Once you knock them out, it's like... 370 experience like every go around or 400 experience every go around and like early game that's huge man like you can you can knock out some some pieces to your character by doing that yeah i've gotten uh i kind of did a route i got all of the medical upgrades first yeah. 
so that I can heal myself better. Cause that's the one thing I really was feeling is that like I would heal and I mean, it would just, all the healing I did would go away in another hit. So it's like, I really felt like my healing was only saving me like one more hit really. And now I feel like I've got five gourd seeds. Uh, I heal a lot better. I'm starting to really get the hang of the combat more now that I'm trying to focus on blocking more than attacking. Although with those ninjas on the rooftops and most of the other enemies, like... Are you that, talking about the uh, the guys with the pink smoke that have like yeah, those boomerang? Yeah, the crow things? guys. Man, they are a pain in the ass. Dude, the thing that I've kind of found is like, I kind of hit that point like I did in Bloodborne where I kind of learned like... If I just walk up with my normal attack, I can just spam it until they're dead, and it just about works every time. So with the whirlwind slash that you do, like holding L1 and hitting R1, where you like do the double slash and the twist, if you just do that over and over again, you kind of just destroy almost everybody that I've run into so far, except for now I'm at the the like calm blue samurai that do just like the single chop. Like, yeah. those guys are a little bit tougher now. I'm trying to practice my blocking on them, and I haven't beaten Lady Butterfly, but that's kind of where I'm at with Sekiro still. If you're having a difficult time with a samurai that's just one chop or whatever, just wait till you get to the boss in that area. Yeah. <laughs> that is a brutal boss to go against. And then I've also been playing Persona 4 still, so I just rescued Yukiko, and that's, like, the second castle kind of thing. I'm like five or six days into the story i've been playing for like 10 hours or so i'm just kind of starting to get to the point where the game begins to open up and i start to do social links and have part-time jobs to earn money um starting to kind of get the handle on okay doing fusions and how to get new personas and transfer over the abilities i absolutely love this game it's so good it's exactly what you know i heard about from everybody i think that it's so far beyond most other rpgs especially at the time because this was originally a ps2 game and i don't know how much it has in common with persona 3 as far as like the battle style and stuff but it just it makes everything move so swiftly and so easily and it's really it feels really good to get a handle on all of these things that kind of drive you a little bit crazy in RPGs, but you deal with it because that's just kind of the mechanics of them and kind of sweep that all to the side. Like I talked about it last week, how easy it is to like upgrade your gear and sell the thing that you had equipped, like just nice little life improvement, things like that. And um, looking forward to getting through more of that soon. I mean, I played a lot of games this week between those three games, but I think that, you know, a little bit of Animal Crossing once a day in the morning. And then when I have free time, I can do Persona 4. And Sekido will just kind of be on the side when I can approach it. Don't worry. After a while, you'll just be like, I need to go back to Sekido. Yeah. Yeah, I'll start getting there. So that's what I've been playing. What have you been playing, John? So uh, I forgot to mention in my pickups, by the way, I did get uh, Last of Us Part 2 Collector's Edition pre-ordered. So excited about that. Uh, as far as what I'm playing, so I'll start with the the one that I'm playing a little bit. 
So Neverwinter Nights, we're still on chapter two. Uh, we cleared out another dungeon. And man, I have been hoarding so many items. So we're now at like 47,000 gold in that game, which I don't know if that's like crazy good or what. But at chapter two, to have that much gold on hand and some of the items that we do have, like some of the magical items, it's crazy. Like our character is like loaded at level So like seven. where do you have to go from there? So, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we'll build up, obviously, better items over time. But, like, I've got a 21 or 20 AC right now for my mm -hmm. character. That's pretty good. Which is not bad at all. Like, I had a battle where it was just, like, they kept missing me, but my dexterity, I guess, wasn't high enough to hit them. And it was just, like, back and forth of, like, missing. Is there, like, a fast-forward time? What do you mean? Like, can you make time go faster so that you can just be like, yeah, 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 instead I, of... I don't know. I should look into that because some of those battles are ridiculous. I do kind of appreciate the slowness, though, of the battles only because it allows me time to, like, heal as necessary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can pause the game and grab, like, a potion and hit it on my character with no issue. So, yeah, my wife and I are having a good time playing that. That's our game that we're playing together right now. And, uh, I mean, it, it still has those issues, the glitchiness, the bad frame rates, all of that on the Switch. I haven't seen any updates come out for the game that would really indicate that they're resolving those problems, uh, which sucks. So, um, you know, I forget Dream Dog, I think is the name of the developer for this. Beam Dog. Beam Dog. Yeah. Well, they can go screw themselves because they obviously released a uh, pretty crappy port on the Switch and they haven't done anything to fix it. You know, and it's been out for quite a while now. So other than that, uh, I have been playing darts and getting gotcha pawns and drinking sodas and winning uh, with soda cans uh winning cart races or not cart races uh forklift races and uh traversing my way through the harbor as i try to find landy and the man that killed my father so uh shenmue's been pretty good uh so far i'm actually getting a little more into it you're turning it or not yeah i mean it was really really slow from the get-go and the audio just really sucked and it still sucks but i'm getting a little more accustomed to it i there's some things i just can't get over like with the uh, forklift racing you know, uh, the guy, Mark, he's like, all right, good morning, everyone. And everyone's like, morning, let's go ahead and get, you know, it's just like that monotone, like, let's go ahead and, and get ready for today with a little warm-up race. Like, all right, almost time to go. And he, like, walks away, and you're like, well, that was exciting. Like, come on. So it's been really interesting. I did learn that with the forklift racing, like, my first time around, I was having a lot of difficulty hitting the turns and stuff. Turns out, if I put it into first-person mode, so much easier oh really yeah dude like i have no problem first person mode's like playing gran turismo forklift style i'm just like zipping around corners cutting people off first place first try doing it it was it was crazy like it's so easy when you do it that way i've even just converted to when i'm lifting the pallets from like warehouse to warehouse i'm just using first person mode it feels faster it it seems easier i can kind of adjust you know my cart better my forklift better to kind of understand where i'm going and then zipping through people is just so much easier. So See, sometimes to get through life's toughest challenges, you just have to look through a new perspective. That was so deep, Ryan. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, Shenmue's been good, and I am towards the end. I'm on day five right now of the overall uh, Harbor Days. Uh, I did use a guide for the last bit. I'm like, screw this. I, I just want to get it done quicker. And, um, you know, obviously not spoiling story for myself, but like just to kind of gauge where I was in the storyline. So 
yeah, I'm on day five of the harbor, and then it goes into I forget the name of it, but the last area where there's like a seventy man battle and all this other crazy stuff. Oh, that's going crazy. Out. Yeah, so I haven't gotten to that point yet, but um, yeah, I will pretty soon. I'm towards the end of the game. I practice say, your combos. Oh, I know. I got to practice combos. So I'd say I'm probably. Uh, probably another week out from beating it, maybe two, pending how much gaming time I get this week. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty good. I, I think I'm in a good position there. So that that's really what I've been playing, man. And um, after this, now that I have the 360 that I picked up last week, uh, pending it working, I mean, I haven't even tested this bad boy yet. But if it works, I have Lost Odyssey coming in the mail. Uh, so that was another pickup I don't think I mentioned. That's such a good game. So Lost Odyssey's coming in. I also have Blue Dragon on the 360. That's was not reviewed well it wasn't reviewed well no it was not well i think that's like a six out of ten game well that's a d and d is technically passing i mean i remember really looking forward to blue dragon when i had the xbox because there wasn't like a lot of rpgs out there for the 360 and i loved lost odyssey and i just stayed away from blue dragon because nobody had anything really great to say about it but all the promo footage like that's one of those games that's like locked in my mind from reading like the spread in Game Informer because it was like the title, uh, you know, the cover page of one issue and it's like had everything in it. So it's like I remember the visuals of that game super well without ever even playing it. So, yeah, same here. And so I actually have had this copy of Blue Dragon for about, I'd say, seven years now. Like I just bought it on a whim thinking, OK, because it was a good discount where I was working, I could get like 30% off generally mm-hmm. on what I was buying. So, you know, I got it for like under 10 bucks years ago, complete in box, great shape. I was like, all right, let me buy this now with the full intention of when I get a 360, this is one of the games I want to play. And, you know, for me to get a 360, it was I'm going to buy a 360 when they run out of the Red Ring of Death issues and it's a good console and it's cheap. Well, that just happened last week. So, it kind of puts me back to like, do I need to play Blue Dragon as my next game? Do I play Lost Odyssey? What happened always, to Ark the Lad? There's Ark the Lad 3 that I want to play because I haven't beat that series. Like, I'm all over the place right now. If and, you guys have any opinions on what John should play next, let us know. Hit us up at the Game Deflators everywhere except for Twitter where they can't handle the, just at Game Deflators. Yep. So uh, Facebook, The Game Deflators, Instagram, The Game Deflators. And then catch us. Our podcast episodes are going to be on uh, really anywhere you can go. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, everywhere. Find us on there. Uh, so yeah, that brings us to that last article we had last week where... Um, you know, decisions on trying, like figuring out what you want to play. There's so many games I want to play and it's just overwhelming sometimes. Like you have the option, I guess in a sense, you probably feel it too. Cause you're like, Oh, I want to play something. Maybe I can go to John's shelf and you're like, Holy crap. Like, well, there's that. Plus I'm playing three games right now and I'm not even using or playing my Gamefly game right now. So I think that what I'm going to try to do, cause I've been thinking about it. I'm probably not going to play final fantasy remastered more than once before they release the whole series so since that's going to be coming out it should be coming out next month i think i'm just going to send my game fly in clear all my queue out and just put remastered in there so hopefully i can get that when it comes out just be able to rent that first one and eventually like you be able to buy like the the mega box collector's edition that has the entire remaster and I won't have wasted my money on each of the individual titles as they release. Yeah, that'd be a good point, man. I'm just like, like I told you last time, I'm just going to wait on that. But 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, there's a lot of games. I'm looking at like Lunar 1 and 2 right now. I would absolutely love to play those games. Those are great boxes. Those are two of the only boxes that like I've gone over to your shelf and like opened them up and checked all the feelies out and oh, stuff. Arc the Lad as well. Arc the Lad is the same style box. It's got I all haven't looked fe- into that one though. Oh, yeah. It's just those two Lunar ones because they, they used to be like right next to me at your old house. Yeah. Yeah, now, I mean, it just clear view every time. So yeah, tons of great games on the shelf that I want to play and I just don't have time. So uh I'm really leaning towards... But you're towards... definitely feeling like a big RPG next. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm kind of along those lines just because... What was my last one? Sukuden 2 was my last big RPG. Then I went into Alien Isolation. Um, I'm now playing Shenmue. I'm playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons-based RPG, but I wouldn't Different consider Different type that... of RPG. Yeah. JRPG so... versus Western RPG. Exactly. So I'm feeling Arc the Lad 3. I mean, that would knock out that collection from PS1. I, I don't have to worry about it ever again um so we'll see what you could do is just play the first 30 minutes of each of the games and see which one you feel like you want to continue yeah that's that's true i could play first 30 minutes i could pull a ryan not beat him uh well you know the other option would be just to um you know there are stores out there with that have essential services such as gamestop uh where i can probably look for more games yeah so uh let's dig into our news dude um so gamestop over the week, a lot of people saw some articles. They were considering sales essential services because they sell a mouse and keyboard and webcams, which have you ever seen a mouse or webcam and keyboard at your local GameStop? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They've got the like uh, underglow or whatever, like the ones that you oh, know, have like the neon. Stuff? Yeah, that kind of stuff. I've never seen keyboards in my GameStop. Uh, I mean, if you count back in the day where they sold the GameStop, the, you know, GameCube keyboard controller or yeah, the true. ps controller that's, that's true i'm gonna thing. i'm gonna do all of my telecommuting from work you via know, ps controller playing real quick i'm gonna go back to animal crossing because a couple things with that they need to have like if your switch is in the dock they need to have a full keyboard that you can click either of the joy cons into to have a keyboard and it would be just like that old gamecube honking thing oh my god i do remember that and then also I'm pretty sure my right Joy-Con has drift now because it's super noticeable in Animal Crossing compared to like Zelda that I was playing because you didn't really like the right thumbstick wasn't doing as much. But it's like I'll open up an item and it's just like spinning in the picture and you control the spin with the right thumbstick or I'll be trying to type and something will like jump over real quick. So it's like. I already sent the left one in. I hope I don't have to send the right one in. So one thing you can do is just open it up and take like a can of air and blow out the dust in there. And that should kind of resolve it for a yeah. bit. Yeah. So that, that might help you I out. I need to borrow. I think they have the, like the special lock screw thing that you like the. I, I have some. Yeah. It's the little three prong thing or, yeah. or the screw itself. Yeah. We'll look at mine really quick before you go. But I've got um I've got the, the bits for Nintendo. Cool. Um, I. I'm always taking apart their consoles. So back to GameStop and they're yeah, essentially yeah. selling. So yeah. yeah, essential services of GameStop. So uh, we had all that craziness that happened this week. And actually there was a user on her Facebook. I think it was Barbara, if I'm correct. Uh, so she was commenting back and forth with me around it. And one of the things I mentioned was I don't see them continuing to keep their stores open past the weekend. And of course we got the announcement. I think it was uh, last night. Uh, GameStop to close all U.S. storefronts to comply with COVID-19 regulations. So um, basically, they're going to be moving to curbside and uh, digital service only now. I mean, that's 
almost as good. Like, I don't know how they're going to be able to do used games through curbside because you won't really be able to browse what they have. But I think for the most part, like, it's kind of an okay way for them to continue. Like, I understand GameStop wants to keep making their money, especially because their biggest competitors, I mean, Best Buy, still open. Haven't seen them announcing anything like this. But even if something were to change and they were to pressure well, so GameStop Best, Best Buy, Buy. Best Buy actually did just, I got an email today saying that they're doing curbside and digital pickups as well. So they're on the same level as them. But uh, Walmart, Target, those places have groceries. Those places aren't going to close. They're going to keep being open no matter what. So there's going to be you know, a difference between these stores that tackle a lot of different needs and these specialty stores that only survive on something that is, you know, trying to be deemed essential, but essentially not. So, you know, I understand they want to stay competitive, but, you know, at some point you just got to protect people. Yeah. And, you know, I see it from the side of, you know, they want it, like you said, they want to stay competitive. They want to have, you know, and their employees are working. So, I mean, that's the positive, right? So by staying open. They are also going to keep paying their employees only who don't for, work. Only for two weeks. I mean, that's still something. It's still that's something. It's still but better than what some places are doing. Yeah. I mean, I get it. So, but on the bright side, when you look at it, they were trying to keep their stores open. They're trying to make the money while they could. And their employees were actively going to have a job still. And you're going to have people that are telecommuting. Now, there's going to be a lot of job losses. We already know this that, you know, comes with this. There already are some. So it, it sucks overall. But, you know, I'm happy that they made the right decision in going through this, you know, process. Right. So just pick up only curbside pickup. That's it. You know, you can buy online. You can have it shipped, I would imagine. But that's all they're doing. And that's fine. But, you know, you brought up a good point to use games. I absolutely hate buying used games off GameStop's new process. So it used to be where you could, and it comes from a collector standpoint, right? Like just every day, I just want to play a game type of person who doesn't care if it has the manual or the case or anything like that. I, it drives me nuts, man. When I try to pick up a PlayStation three game through GameStop and you get there and it's just a disc yeah, and it's in their generic case. Like as a collector, it sucks. They used to have, it's where you could hold it and then come in and be like, Hey, uh, you know, I just put this game on hold. I want to check it out. Okay, it's got scratches, or it doesn't have the manual, or it doesn't have the original case. You know, okay, I don't want it. Now, you can't even hold the game. You have to buy it in advance. You even have to call them and then say, hey, does it have all this? And then half the time, they won't even offer a refund over the phone to you. You have to actually go through a corporate team to get it done. Mm. Um, and if the corporate team doesn't want to do it, uh, they pretty much just have you, they hold your money hostage for two weeks. Oh, like, wow. Until the pickup time, like it's a two-week period, if it, one or two-week period, where you just don't have access to that money and it just sits there. So I could buy $100 in games and none of them are what I want and they won't do a refund unless I go in-store. So we'll see how this all progresses um, over time. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of their... Are they going to their... do curbside trade-ins? Where <laughs> you hand them a bag and they go inside, tally it all up, come out and tell you how much it's worth? Yeah, how are they even going to do that? Like, they thrive off of used games. So are they going to end up having, like, lower inventory of used games? Or well, are they going to ship them out? Like, how There's a work? tremendous amount of people who, you know, if they need a new game right now and, like, they're dying for Animal Crossing and they're going to risk it all for Doom Eternal and go out into the world and 
try to get it and all they have is you know a stack of old playstation 3 games that they're not sure how much it's worth but they've only got 20 real dollars and they hope they've got 40 bucks in trade in like those people are only going to be able to go to GameStop to get what they want. Like that's the only thing they really have over those competitors who are going to stay open no matter what. Yeah. And now one thing for people that are kind of curious of what they're going to get for GameStop, uh, you can actually on their website, they have, if you just type in like GameStop trade, there's actually um, a functionality on our website where you can plug in like iPhones, consoles, oh, they controllers. Got like a calculator. Yeah. They actually have it. Now it doesn't like fully take everything. It's like game by game. But you can find a game on there and say, okay, well, how much does my copy of Super Mario Bros. on the SNES go for? You plug it on there, and it'll actually give you uh, the pro member price, the uh, regular member, and cash then it price. has trade-in versus cash. So I've used that plenty of times. And okay. then you combine it with their promotions, and you generally get a good bit. Um, okay. Hence that time I traded in those um, Xbox controllers, mm-hmm. which now I wish I had Xbox 360 controllers laying around. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, okay. So anything else you got on that, man? Uh, That's good for that. But uh, next up, we've got, uh, what is it? Sony going after Dreams creations that use Nintendo IP at the request of Nintendo. So for everybody who's not out there trying to buy new games, but they're in Dreams, trying to make new games, trying to bring their, you know, the things in their mind to life through this powerful new game creation game tool thing that's out there we talked about dreams i think a few weeks ago and all of the you know different people that are making games using custom assets that they themselves have created that are directly ripped off of existing ips i mean there's tons of sonic games mario games all that stuff so now nintendo has asked sony to take down anything using nintendo ips and that's uh impacting the community i mean these people are making new games that are original. I mean, they might be recreating other games, you know, older levels and stuff, but you know, they're using this engine and making it themselves. I'm pretty sure there's no way that they're making money off of it. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Unless there's like the recordings of those games being played and there's a monetary value off that, but doesn't Nintendo kind of, already work with youtube to take down videos that are monetized based on their ip anyways well it see that's hard to tell because i mean how many people do you know gaming reviews and stuff on youtube that have monetized yeah but i'm things. thinking like a playthrough right like oh watch me play my super mario play. world level on dreams and then monetize that like that i can see being an issue because you know it's using their ip if for money's financial being gain. made but yeah. if no money's being made if this is just people making stuff and trying to use their you know favorite ips as assets to bring attention to their work or to show what they can do within that system you know like trying to do basically like a mario maker without the mario maker itself there like that's ambitious and i feel like this is just going to ultimately wind up stifling the creativity of the next generation of game developers. Like this isn't like, you know, an easy thing to do. Like to do this, you've got to have like time and dedication and all, you know, all the cream of the crop up at the top. Like those are people who are going to eventually move on to make their own games and work in the industry and do stuff like giving them the leeway to be able to identify their work with, these popular IP characters and 
you know, settings and stuff, like, it is impeding on the IP, but as long as they're not making money off of it, I don't see why it should be such a problem, but it hasn't stopped Nintendo from taking down, uh, what was it, Pokemon Uranium and another Metroid 2 remake, AM2R, like, they took both of those down. And those weren't making money either. They were drawing from the IP and using the copyright, though. Well, I guess kudos to Nintendo in a sense for being consistent, you know? Well, you have to. If you don't consistently defend your copyright, you lose the ability to defend it. Exactly. So they've been so consistent over the years. So kudos to them for actually sticking to it. Um, You know, while I don't always agree with what they're doing, and something like Dreams, I mean, you're right, it's it's their creation like these are people that are actively making these creations and it's not like it looks exactly like mario to a t it's a variation and it's not like it's a full game it's just well and you're not gonna fool anybody be going into a game on playstation and playing a game made in that game featuring nintendo like obviously nobody's gonna get confused that it's real yeah exactly you're not gonna run into that situation and the other thing to consider here too is it's additional exposure for Nintendo's product. Like, why not work with Sony and say, hey, uh, you know, we want to help out. We want to put like we want to give you something to put into this game to to make it interesting. Maybe unlockables or, you know, maybe they can have music and pre-purchase it, you know, through Dreams DLC. Like there's things that they can do to really like kind of you know, not only monetize it on their own, but get that exposure and get that like lack of you know, like remove the negativity that surrounds them every damn time somebody makes something using, you know, a Nintendo IP or does their own creation. Nintendo always shuts it down and creates their own damn thing from it. Anyways, they rip off the person that created it. Yeah. And Nintendo wants people to be able to make Mario levels. Otherwise they wouldn't have made two Mario maker games. And like, nobody's ever going to do something so innovative in a mario maker that it like really gets anybody's attention because it's got groundbreaking new stuff like you could do a lot of really cool things in mario maker and some people have really pushed those limits but with a system like dreams where you can really change things and make things your own like it could give nintendo a look in on oh shit look what these people are doing with mario we could do that or we could hire this person to do that like it could be a good system for, you know, farming out ideas. Yeah, I agree with you, dude. Um, and it's really a shame that Nintendo does this all the time, but it is their IP. It is their, you know, their imagery and their content. Uh, not content necessarily, but it's it's their characters and they do hold the right through the likeness of, of those characters. So, I mean, I, I don't, I agree, but at the same time, you know, I can kind of see where Nintendo's coming from and I can kind of side with them in those respects of, you know, it is their, it's their stuff, you know, and they can deem how it gets used and who uses it. So yeah, enough on that. I mean, we, we've heard about this numerous times in the past. It is interesting though, to see it happening uh, with Sony actually like actively going out and saying, Hey, we're removing these because it, it goes against Nintendo policy. It's the first time they've worked together since the Nintendo PlayStation. (laughs) It's kind of sad. Uh, So speaking of Sony, I've been kind of uh, vocal on this, at least online. Uh, Sony has definitely dropped the ball on its PS5 rollout so far. Another week with actually some updates on the PS5. We actually learned something new this week, and it kind of bummed people out and wasn't exciting. John was there to watch the whole thing, and I 
just heard about the aftermath. So, John, tell us what your impressions were watching this speech. Cerny is probably the most boring individual I've ever heard speak. Now, you know, here's the thing. Let's let's draw a line here because there's going to be people listening and people reading our, you know, comments and everything else are saying, well, it was a tech a tech uh, release. It wasn't it was a, supposed to be a know, GDC, which yeah. was canceled, which, you know, is for developers like it's not all the flashy E3 footage that we're expecting. But it's just been so long, people were kind of like, ah, what are they going to show? They're going to show something. Yeah, and, you know, at the same time, you would think they would reveal, you know, what the damn thing looks like. You know, it, it was spec-related, right? And it was very technical technical jargon, and it was really deep on the tech side of things. And, you know, what is the SSD and how many teraflops and all the things that we really want to know in terms of power and its ability. And that gets broken down by the media and other people that are, you know, really engaged in that. My whole thing was it was just a boring presentation. It, you know, there's ways to make things exciting. Microsoft has made their Xbox Series X exciting. They released images of their console. They've gone ahead and said what the specs are. They'd announced backwards compatibility. Their press releases, their tech releases, everything has been like great. It's well, been... And every time they talk, they talk about something else, something yeah. new, something more. They They build, but it's like... Every time we see an article on PlayStation 5, it's about how there is no new information exactly. and we still don't know anything. And so like Microsoft, like I'm not a big Microsoft fan and there's people saying, well, you're just being a pain in the ass because, you know, Sony's going to release their stuff here pretty soon and they'll have like the it's not announcement season or anything else. I'm sick of hearing announcement season from people like Sony has been so slow out of the gate. Microsoft was back 2019 showing stuff about their console. They've mm -hmm. been talking about it. They're getting people excited about this thing. Sony has shown us a logo and they've given us an extremely, extremely boring presentation on technical specs. And while developers are excited about that, sitting through that presentation, listening to it, there's ways to make that thing exciting, right? There's ways to show like, different game footage that maybe is being developed right now. Was there now. any footage shown? The, the only thing that I saw was when they showed, like, uh, they gave examples of Spider-Man cityscapes mm. and how the loading time of those cityscapes um, would be... Like, they showed how it looked on the PS4 versus the PS5. They didn't show footage. They just showed, like, the oh, overall... stills? Like, stills of, like, the top of a city. Like, you know a map? Yeah. Where you have, like, the blue and stuff yeah. and you can see the streets? It was like that. And it just showed, well, when Spider-Man turns around, this loads up. And during certain periods of time, the SSD will have the ability to, like, pre-render and load, like, behind the character. Mm -hmm. So when you turn around, it's done. It's ready to go. Which is awesome. Like, that type of stuff is super exciting. The presentation itself was so dull. It was, like the equivalent of going into a college lecture and just falling asleep because it, it was just too technical and there wasn't enough buildup. And the, the way that Cerny presented while he knows his stuff and he's a fantastic, you know, guy in the industry, like he knows what he's talking about. He's not the type of guy you need up there, you know, to kind of, especially in this situation, right? If it was behind closed doors at GDC and it was, he had some members of media, but it wasn't public. They should have sure. adapted the presentation yeah. with the change of venue and audience. The second that this became a public type of situation where it was going to be broadcast on YouTube and other areas, at that point, they should have adapted and said, okay, Cerny's great, but we need Let's to pump kind it of, up. Yeah, we need to amp this up a little bit, right? We need to have some in-game footage for the public. We need to show uh, the logo. We need to get people excited for what's going to be coming. Yeah, we've seen game footage for certain stuff already. 
But you know there's more than just those little trailers. There's other stuff they could have shown. Mm -hmm. And while everybody says, well, it's not announcement season, you know, I get that. And I totally get this was a technical presentation meant for GDC. But it's a poor job on Sony's part to not adapt to the situation and go ahead and make it more exciting. Because right now, I'm probably more excited about the Series X than I am the PS5. And that's sad. Yeah. Because I've been following Sony for years. Well, and the new announcement that we did get that, you know, was rumored... We got some confirmation about backwards compatibility. Now, in the talk, they said that the top 100 PS4 games will be available for backwards compatibility at launch with plans to move forward to expand that library. Now, they're not going to just outright say every PS4 game will be backwards compatible or every PS3 game will be backwards compatible. Like, There's limits to what they'll be able to do, and it won't probably ultimately be every game. But people are really bummed about that news. I don't really get it. Like, I think that when the PS5 comes out, do you really, are you really going to be that excited to play like the 300th most popular PS4 game on your brand new PS5? Like, no, like the top hundred should do at launch, especially because like new console, new games, like you're not going deep dive into the backlog for your first game out on a ps5 like i think that we'll be okay i think we'll get through it i think people are a little bit over judging sony but i think that this is also just another example of how conservative they're being with their numbers and it just doesn't make sense i mean especially how many times we've talked about other articles like sony should be on top of this with confidence like, they're the dominant force in the gaming industry right now. Yeah, they are the They should true be leader. more bold yeah. with their statements and releases. But, you know, they're still waiting. Hopefully, it's all worth the wait. And But it is it is tough to see, you know, week after week, announcement after announcement just doesn't really do anything to pick them up. Like, they're not helping themselves. Yeah, and by all means, you know, all of this isn't doom and gloom for Sony. You know, the console will do well. It's going to sell well, you know, provided that it has everything that we would want. And we have all these great games that are released like the PS4. The PS4 That's is highly what it's going to come down yeah. to is the games. The PS4 is highly successful. The PS2 is successful. The PS3 was even successful, beating out the 360 over time. PS1 was successful. So they've had success every generation. It's just they're not hyping it up enough, right? Mm -hmm. They're not really giving us what we want as consumers. And when you run into a situation where... You have things like the Xbox Series X, which is really Microsoft's pushing it hard because they failed so hard on the Xbox yeah. One. Nintendo is going to be coming out the gate strong with all of their stuff and all of their IP stuff. So Sony really isn't like while they are the dominant force, it's not like they don't have anything to worry about. You know, they have other competitors out there now to your point, though, on backwards compatibility. So I want to say I post an article on our Facebook page that said something like all PlayStation 4 up to 4,000 PS4 games were going to be yeah, backwards compatible. Eventually that came out after this talk, I yeah. think, was them trying to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't mean just 100. Yeah, yeah. They, they ended up I saying. I didn't even know there were 4,000 PlayStation 4 games. Well, I, mean, I guess you, if you, you take into PAL. account like arcade well, PAL region, all that indie stuff. Indie titles. Too. Yeah, you got PAL indie titles. You have, you know, obviously the, the normal releases. Looking at my shelf, I don't have a lot of PS4 games. Yeah. Um, although I think most of them are in this corner. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, in terms of backwards compatibility and the importance of it, they did say that they're planning on, they're planning even in the cheaper consoles down the road, 
They're planning on supporting backwards compatibility, which is very different from the PlayStation 3, which got rid of that backwards compatibility for just PS2. You can still play PS1 on your PS3. Um, mm. I think all games except like maybe a handful, you can't play on the PS on the yeah. PS3. So it's good to see that up front they're saying, look, we're going to support PS4 backwards compatibility all the way through, no matter what. And yeah, it's not just limited to 100. You're going to have more than that. And I think the importance of it is... Um, allowing people to transition to the ps5 right yeah they're gonna have that grace period exactly so it gives me an opportunity as a buyer to say i want to buy a ps5 i might have like one playstation 5 game but i have all of these playstation 4 games it lets people be able to trade in their ps4 also without feeling like oh exactly so you have the ps4 being able to get traded in to go towards the ps5 it gets people wanting to buy that console. You've got a backlog of games that you can still play, so it's not like I have nothing to play. Now, if you have a backwards compatible console, John, like as a collector, do you feel like you still want to own that previous console? Or if you have a console that'll play the games, like are you more into the games or the consoles? So I'm more into the games personally. The PlayStation 1 is one that I don't play anymore. It's just there's it's pointless for me to play a PS1 when I can play a PS2. Uh, and then even so my PS one games, I play on the PS three. Mm-hmm. I have a, this 500 gigabyte slim. I think that I play them on. Uh, so that's usually what I do. PS two, obviously I have to play it on a PS two. I have no choice in that matter. Um, so I would say backwards compatibility for me is pretty important because I don't, I don't want to have to go through three different consoles to play my games. I don't want to have to have my PlayStation one hooked up to play ps1 i don't want to have yeah you know my ps2 you want just the ease of access yeah the ease of access now i have those consoles they're still in my collection but i don't use them but are you going to keep your ps4 uh even if you you don't have to i don't know that that's actually a good point because like i have a ps3 still um obviously because i play a lot of ps3 games and i play ps1 on it but you know i might because I have two PS4s, and I don't really feel the need to keep my Slim when we have uh, the Kingdom Hearts one. You know, the PS4 might be a situation where it gets put into, like, another room or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know, man. You I do... mean, it's still a great media device, although most TVs can do most of the things your PlayStation can. Yeah, I mean, I would have to tra- transfer data and all that stuff, too. I mean, it's it'd be a whole hassle. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of early to ask. I would likely continue playing the PS4 at least a year or two into the PS5's life cycle when things have kind of died down in price point and it's a little more affordable, even though we don't know the price yet. It's just not something I'm going to buy right away. I was playing PS3 games up until the PS4 Pro. So it it doesn't bug me to not have the most recent console. Um, Well, we talked a lot about PlayStation, dude. Let's get into uh, our inflation deflation this week. Uh, Definitely had a lot of fun. So we played Ivy to Kiwi. And uh, Ivy to Kiwi was developed by Prope, who I'd never heard of. Uh, the publisher is Xseed, at least for the U.S. Designer was uh, Yuji Naka, and it was released on August of 2010. Uh, That's so, the version we played, the Wii version. Okay, yeah, the Wii version itself. So Ryan was actually telling me there is a, uh, a Windows mobile version yeah, that was released. It started off as a Windows mobile game released back in uh, 2009 in japan and then in 2010 it came to american windows mobile and eventually ported over to wii and nintendo ds and then two years later to ios in north america so this is a an interesting platform game it reminds me kind of uh kirby's epic yarn 
where you're you got a character who's going to be auto moving and then you have to draw lines under them to guide them up and around the platforms that they are going to be going through but instead of like just drawing a line it's a tensioned vine so you place the vine where you start drag and drop it to where you want to stop and you can only stretch that so far or it's going to snap uh you can pull down on it to launch kiwi through the air like a spring and you can only place like three vines at a time so it's a lot of uh you know guiding around and up and down like block stairs and stuff because the character if they hit a wall will turn around and begin going the other direction that's basically the controls it felt pretty good i feel like it would have been better on a ds maybe although the weed does have the highest reviews so, so and it is a, the highest price as well so it makes you wonder why i don't have it on the ds um i could get it to see what the differences are uh but yeah and you, you know to your point it it was reviewed much better on the wii i think 7.5 is the highest on that so um i would say the controls in my mind were were pretty good you get used okay. to it after it's a while basic. there's not a lot going on as far as we got into the game like we we really hadn't even hit the point where we had enemies it's still just obstacles and spikes are there enemies in it uh it said during the tutorial for the uh part where it shows you how you can pull the vines and yeah. launch because uh, you spiral and you can hit yeah enemies. so you could destroy blocks and enemies it said so I we think hadn't we, really run into enemies we got to what chapter three in this game yeah yeah, so we got actually relatively far in a good 30-minute time period. It's an easy game. Uh, it's you know. easy, sort of. So well, yeah. in this game, you've got short levels, and you know, like I said, you're guiding Ivy through these levels, but there are feathers. There's 10 feathers in each level that you pick up by guiding her to walk through them. Now, those feathers, if you ignore them and just go straight to the end, it's super easy not really even that challenging trying to get all those feathers and get through like the more difficult obstacles. That's where the challenge of this game is definitely going to come into play. So you can kind of choose your own difficulty based on how much you want to collect, but it's really not much of a game so far as we got without trying to collect those just going through the levels just doesn't really is not interesting yeah and it's really you know the the graphics on this game while they're nice it's um it's got a it's, sketchy style yeah but it's kind of bland though it's all like light brown and it's really brown it's and very whites. unicolor yeah there's not a monotone whole lot, yeah there's That's not a the whole word. lot unicolor going to it <laughs> but it, it looks good i mean it's not a bad game by all means i think and, it would look better on the ds too well i wouldn't say look better because i would think graphically it's gonna be better on the wii but yeah, but sometimes, you know, those looser art styles are going to look better on a smaller screen, especially since this was a port of a mobile game, essentially. True. I mean, and this was, we did play it on a 4K TV, so it does, well, we play on a Wii U, so I don't know if it upscales at all. Um, I would say this would actually have benefited from being on the Wii U, being able to use that tablet. Being on the tablet, I think, would have been good, but I mean, this was still back in Wii Day. Yeah. And it was still a good game. I did enjoy it. Um, you know, we'll go over to price here in a minute, but the colors were good. The controls were good. The music was good. And the overall concept was good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say a 7.5 review is, you know, probably not, you know, where I would put, I probably put it closer to an eight 
in my mind, just in terms of what we got out of it, uh, how easy it was to play. And it's a game that you can kind of just pick up and play. You don't have to get really involved. And, you know, it's puzzle based in a sense. So it was fun. I liked it. So breaking down the price, we've got a uh, complete inbox is 3730 right now. That peaked back at 6745 in June of 2017. And it's been at a pretty steady clip since then. Now, loose 2624 peaking at 4906 back in December 2016, also holding steady. Uh, the most expensive version is going to be the North American complete in box. And the cheapest version is the PAL DS, which is 441 loose. So this is a pretty, you know, pricey game compared to, you know, some things we compared look to what at I bought on average. At. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's that's some pretty solid value. I just think that from what we played of it, I don't really need to play anymore. And I mean, if you're a big Yuji Naka fan and you really like all of his work, I can see maybe from that niche collector's point of view or from, you know, I guess anybody trying to complete like a specific library, like a Wii library or a DS library. Like I can see how this being like an essential like mid range price piece could make it, you know, uh, do I really need it now? Do I want to push it back for later? I think that this is definitely a collector's only game and not really worth it for somebody who just wants to check something out. I think we got enough out of it that I don't feel compelled to play it again. And I wouldn't feel compelled to spend $37 on it. You know, I wouldn't either. I, I think I bought this game for $4.50. That sounds like a way better price. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's worth that. You know, it's worth more than that for yeah. sure. Um, I would put this game in a $15 range. I mean, that's probably range. what it would be worth on a mobile app. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say like... You know, at, at most, if I saw this game, 15 bucks, complete in box, like I would never spend close to even 20 on this. Mm -hmm. Like that's just I'm light years away from from the top of this point. And even 67. God, man, no suckers got hit hard at 67 bucks. But, you know, this game was like four bucks back then. And this was during a period of time that I was going around stores specifically looking for Wii games because I having gone through the whole issue of you know, PlayStation 2 games going up in price, I knew that this was a situation that once the Wii games became unavailable at, at GameStop, which are still available, but once it became unavailable in that mass quantity, we were going to run into a situation where games like this, which have no business being 67 to $37, would exist. Yeah, so, this jumped way up. Like, it was April 2016 where this, like, made its jump. Like, it was hovering around, like, 15 that's a about under I, 15 that's about when i bought it when it was 15 dollars was a value yeah and then just like by may it spiked up to like over double and then it has come back down substantially since then in the last couple of years but man it is uh this is a crazy so dude like weird title because it's like i've never even heard of this game yeah well if you look at a lot of my wii games that i have here you know i've got juan you know, not really a common title. You've got Clono up there, uh, Chocobo's Dungeon. Um, you know, you've got uh, Fragile Dreams. Like, I have almost all the RPGs that were released on the Wii. These are all games that I picked up a long time ago when they were at, like, rock-bottom prices because this would happen. Mm -hmm. It always happens for these consoles. And so 
yeah, like Ivy to Kiwi is just one of those like random buys. It was like five bucks. It's not a super common game. It looks interesting. Let me pick it up. And lo and behold, it went up in value. So yeah, that's where we're at on it. So we're going to say that, I mean, I'm going to say that I, I think the, it's wildly inflated because the complete inbox, what I would pay for is worth less than what the loose price yeah, is here. going for now. Like you said, I mean, 20 bucks seems steep. 15 sounds about right. Like neither of those are even really options. So, I mean, maybe this is not something to get on the Wii. Maybe this is something to pick up on the DS on the cheap if you just want to check the game out. Well, that's if the gameplay is the same. So we haven't played it. I mean, it would have to be literally the exact same I would game. assume that it is. I would Because it's got the same, like, just point, click, drag. Like, you could do that with a stylus, just like you can do it with the Wiimote. And it was based on a touch interface on phones. It was, but some Wii games that have versions on the, on the DS and 3DS are just not the same yeah they just they differ so so much so i if it's the same exact game on the ds then yeah go for a ds version of this 100 percent um but if you want to check it out obviously uh, as far as the wii is concerned I'm right there with you man highly inflated totally oh, not worth so that price right point. here on the wiki we and nintendo ds versions offer the same basic gameplay and level designs with the main difference being controls we version point we version the player points at the screen and draws finds while a Nintendo DS player uses a stylus. So yeah, it's the exact yeah. same game. In that case, buy it on a DS. Totally not worth it on the Wii for that price point. Highly inflated. It's highly inflated. Probably... We need like a new category for when it's it's so inflated that we wouldn't even pay it's a balloon. the loose price. It's a balloon popping. That, that's what it is. It's a balloon popping. So yeah, uh, definitely buy on the DS. Bursted. Yeah. Uh, so next week, given all of the fear surrounding the world currently, um, we're going to play Cold Fear on the PS2. Fear the cold. Fear of the cold. Uh, this is actually not a common title. Uh, I, I want to say I picked it up for like maybe eight bucks at most, maybe less. Six ninety nine. No, maybe. No, you see that white price tag? Is that mm -hmm. a GameStop price tag? No, the yellow one is. Okay, let me let me see it really quick. Let me see it really quick uh no it's not um yeah you know i probably paid about 6.99 that's about right okay you know when i got it i know where i got it i got it from my old work so next week yeah ubisoft's cold fear yeah not a common title so we'll see uh well that being said you are listening to episode or you have listened to episode 72 of the game inflators podcast catch us on podcast addict all the podcast applications facebook youtube instagram and twitter and uh my name's john i'm ryan and thanks for listening